You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. All right, praise the Lord. All those hours of music lessons, they helped. And uh, <laughs> what a blessing. All right. Uh, keep your Bibles out here. And as we are finishing up, uh, coming to the last week of Stewardship Month, uh, looking at different areas of our stewardship, of course. And here in, in uh, Exodus, and then again in Numbers, uh, definitely sometimes going into the book of Nehemiah, uh, some events that uh, are identified with the condition of our church right now as be being in a building program. And you know, as we are looking at stewardship, stewardship and our offerings, they're not about bills and they're not about buildings and they're not about budgets. But at the same time, we recognize that uh, we, have, uh, we, we are in a time uh, just like other times in, in history where uh, God's people have been in a building program. God's people have been in a, a time where there were extra things that needed to be done. And uh, this morning we are sitting in an auditorium uh, that has been built, and it was built by the sacrifice the labor of those who have gone before. Uh, many of them are no longer in the seats today. Uh, think about Brother Ludwig, uh, and he was here uh, during this building program, and he took, uh, he took off uh, several years, I believe it was three or four years, uh, that he took off of work, and he just let Miss Frassy go to work. Uh, but he came to work every day here during that building program from start to finish. The amount of sacrifice that God's people uh, put in uh, to where we get to enjoy a place where uh, we can come into this building and, you know, we get to enjoy the, uh, the comfort, we get to enjoy the heat, the air conditioning, uh, the shelter from the wind and rain, and it's a place that we get to come and worship the Lord corporately as a church family. It's a place where the lost come to get saved. It's a place where the hurting comes to get help. It's a place where uh, the mission uh, is organized and carried out through the ministries uh, of the church. And, and all around the nation and around the world, uh, churches have stood and they have uh, followed through on a, a mission, a corporate mission, to reach a community uh, with the gospel. And here, when we think about uh, Exodus chapter 36, here we find the, the first building program, if you would. Uh, Acts tells us that this was the church in the wilderness, uh, Acts chapter 7. And so here they are building the sanctuary or the tabernacle. It is called both. Uh, but here as we have the tabernacle, let's read again in our text, Exodus chapter 36 and verse number 1. Then wrought Bezalel in Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put, had put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And they received of Moses 
Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him freewill offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came, every man from his work which they, which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man or woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. So the tabernacle here, it was that meeting place. It was a, it was a tent of meeting uh, is what the tabernacle was. It was a place of assembly. It was a place of focus. The, the 12 tribes of Israel, they would they were assigned a location around the tabernacle. And when we look at this, we see how, how God, he tries to get uh, consciously and subconsciously our attention to be focused on him. And when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, you had this rectangular courtyard with the tabernacle in the middle and three tribes were assigned to be on the, the west side or the north side, since I'm pointing that way, and three tribes were assigned to be on the south side, three tribes on the west, and three tribes on the east. And every tribe, as they were to assemble with their tents, uh, they were to assemble around the tabernacle and uh, according to their family, uh, but also every tent door was facing the tabernacle. It was everybody was looking to that meeting place. Everyone was looking towards the place where God was going to dwell. Everyone was looking towards the, towards the Lord. That was the focal point. Ministry, uh, church, if you would, that was the focal point uh, of the believers. And that was God's plan. You know what? Today, God's plan is for the believer to their life to revolve around the church. Uh, it, is, it is not just just something we add to our life. Uh, why, why is our life revolving around the church? Our life revolves around the church because God is the focus of church. And the mission that he has left us here to do until he calls us all home, until he takes us either by the, the undertaker or the upper taker, I just as soon go by the upper taker, amen? Uh, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be like to go by the undertaker, so I'd rather go by the upper taker. Uh, the Lord just call us all home together. But you see, uh, this tabernacle, it was a place of assembly. It was a place of focus. It was a place of sacrifice, literal sacrifice. They would bring their offerings, their sin offerings, and there would be a blood sacrifice going on constantly, continually. It was a place of forgiveness, it was a place where the Day of Atonement and God would forgive uh, the sins of the nation, the people there, uh, because of the, the sacrifice that was applied on the, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the mercy seat there. And, and that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice, was picturing that one day the Savior was going to come. And He was going to be that sacrifice once and for all. That's why we don't offer any sacrifices today. Uh, 
about why? Because the Savior has already fulfilled that. There's no need of sacrifices anymore. We have a, a high priest, Jesus Christ, uh, the, the, our high priest. He is the one that offered that final sacrifice, and he was the one that uh, was that sacrifice. Uh, and so uh, it's a place of forgiveness. It was a place of God's presence. Can you imagine being there as one of the uh, Israelites in that day where you could literally see that pillar of cloud hovering over that tabernacle by day? Pillar of fire by night. And when that cloud would move, they would move. And when that cloud would stop, they would stop. The, the amount of direction, isn't it, isn't it hard sometimes you go through life and Lord, I wish you'd just tell me what to do. Lord, which way do you want me to go? They didn't have that problem. They were to stay put until God said, it's time to go. And, and when, when God said it was time to go, everybody knew that it was time to go because that pillar of cloud started moving. And, and they then, uh, it was their responsibility to stay in that place of blessing. I'm sure some decided, you know what, I like it where I'm at. We have this idea that everybody was always just doing exactly what they were supposed to do. But I'm sure that there were, there were some ladies that said, you know what, I'm not moving again. I'm done moving. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done being in a tent. We're going to build a house. We're, we found a nice spot. We're staying right here. And, you know, whether it was that, uh, but there was, there was a, uh, a direction that God had given. It was a place of, of God's presence, a, a place of God's power. It was a pa place of God's provision. Uh, God would meet the needs day in and day out for his people. So amazing. Every day they woke up. And they walked outside their tent store, they saw the tabernacle, and then there was Oreo cookies laying all over the ground. Manna was there from heaven, and they'd go around and pick up those Oreo cookies, and somebody needs to tell Mrs. Brown that manna is good, and uh, she doesn't want me eating Oreos anymore. Uh, but uh, anyway, here they're, they, they got these Oreos, and uh, the manna from heaven, that provision that God would supply, it was a pr place of God's preeminence. Nobody was was usurping the authority of God, the preeminence of God, how could you not just see how good God is? And here this, this tabernacle, if you would, this sanctuary, this church in the wilderness uh, was, was a place that uh, God's people were about to come together to help build. And so uh, the call to build this place was given by God and to Moses, it was needed. Uh, it wasn't that God needed it. It was that man needed it. God's people needed it. They needed that tabernacle. They needed uh, that temple. Uh, Isaiah 66, 1, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? You know, uh, there is no place that we could build if the entire earth is the Lord's footstool and the heavens are his throne. Uh, there, is no, there is no house that we could build big enough for our God. But he wanted a place for us 
He wanted a place where we could dwell together. Uh, Acts 7.49, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? What is the place of my rest? And so here is that, uh, that admonition again. God wanted a place to be able to communicate and dwell uh, among his people. And so uh, if the heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool, he is bigger and he is grander and he is larger. Larger. Uh, he is more majestic than we could ever imagine. We have got an amazing God. But he, he wants there to be a place where he can dwell among us. Exodus 25 and verse 8, he said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You see, why did God want that sanctuary? He said, I was going to dwell among them. I wanted there to be a relationship. Exodus 29, verse 45 and 46. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so now God is saying, I'm gonna, I want to have a place where I can, where I can dwell together. Uh, with uh, humanity and uh, where I can dwell together with man. And, and now God is going to give Moses uh, the blueprints for this, uh, this tabernacle. He is going to give him uh, the drawings, if you would, but he is also going to give him the plan, the fundraising plan on how it's going to be financed. He gives both. He gives the architectural plans, and then he says, okay, now this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. So let's go real quickly here to Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 1, and we'll read nine verses here, Exodus 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and, and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So God, uh, we see here, the plans had been laid. The program now has been presented and the process is now in place. Now it's okay, let's get busy, let's do it. Uh, and as we look at this great event, a great building program, it was a place where people would see God revealed in their daily lives. It was in following this plan, there were going to be the fulfillment of that, the finishing of that, the completion of that was a place where they individually, they corporately as a nation, they as families, it's a place where they would be blessed. You know, that's what we see here when we look at our text verses in Exodus 36 and verses 1 through 7. 
And here, what do we see? I want you to see several things this morning about the different groups that were involved in this building program. Look with me at verse number one of Exodus chapter 36. I want you to see, first of all, uh, number one, I want you to see the leaders. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all the manner of the work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. So here we have the leaders. Who are the leaders? Of course, we see Moses. And Moses uh, was uh, a leader. Uh, Bezalel was a leader. Aholiab, they were leaders. So these leaders, uh, Moses was, was not only the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, he was also the civic, uh, the the uh, uh, governmental leader. He was the, uh, the leader of that nation. And so not only spiritually, but also dealing with the civicness uh, and the society, if you would, uh, of the nation. And Moses there was that leader. Bezalel, later we find how Bezalel, God says that he called him by name. Now, Bezalel was an artificer. He was a, he was a craftsman, if you would. He was an individual that was, was talented in the construction or the, uh, the use of, uh, of the, of, of carvings and, uh, engravings and of, uh, of the, uh, the, the moldings, the making of, of objects, furniture. Now, when we get into the tabernacle, there was the actual structure of the tabernacle and the courtyard and everything that went there. But when you look at the actual, uh, the uh, furniture for the tabernacle, you look at all of the, the pieces that were there. Uh, out in the courtyard, you had the brazen altar. And then uh, you had the slaughter tables that were there, five on each side of the tabernacle. And then you had, uh, when you went in, uh, before uh, you got to the door of the tabernacle, there was the golden laver, the brazen laver, laver that was there. And so you have the, the, uh, the sacrifice, and then you have the washing, and then you would go in, and now you have the, uh, the table of showbread, you had the altar of incense, you have the golden candlestick, and then uh, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and you went into the most holy place, and it was... Uh, through that veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant that had that, uh, those cherubims, those two angels uh, whose wings touched uh, on the inside there, and then that mercy seat which was laid right in bef- between. And it was there that the high priest, once a year, would offer that sacrifice of blood, the Day of Atonement. And you know, uh, we, we think about all that had to be done. Somebody had to know what was going on. And you see these leaders that were working together to accomplish that. Uh, But you don't just see the leaders. Uh, You see, secondly, the laborers. Look at verse number two. It says, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. Uh, These laborers, uh, these were wise-hearted individuals. You know, it's not just the, the leader that had to have 
have the wisdom. The laborers had to have wisdom. They were, they were going to be the facilitators of what that plan was. They were the ones that were going to make it all happen. Uh, it wasn't just uh, Moses, and it wasn't just Aholiab and Bezalel. Uh, there were laborers that were co-laboring together. Uh, Exodus 36, 4, and all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. These were individuals uh, that were diligent. Uh, they were wise-hearted. They were stirred. They were diligent. Uh, they came from their work. These were, these were people who were committed uh, to the cause. Uh, they were hard workers. They were diligent. So we see the leaders. We see the laborers. I want you to see thirdly, the layman. The layman. And look at verse number three. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it with all. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came, every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And so we see here these laymen. Uh, what are they doing? They're bringing offerings. But these offerings here, they were free offerings. These were free will offerings. These were things that they wanted to do. This was, this was not their tithes. This was, this was up and above. This was an offering that uh, here uh, God wanted the people to give. And, and so they were free offerings. They were willing offerings. They were sacrificial offerings. Uh, and they were sufficient offerings. They were sufficient now, I understand that the nation of Israel, uh, when you look here at uh, the, the uh, amount of people, it was, it's a lot different than where we're at. You know, we don't have three and a half million uh, of us in our congregation. Um, but what we do have is we have people that God has assembled. And, and with that, if each and every one of us would, would bring our offerings to the Lord, we would bring those tithes and offerings. They belong to the Lord. And above that, you know, those, here these free will offerings and these, these sacrificial offerings that these people were bringing, uh, they were brought uh, for, the, uh, for the building of this tabernacle. Uh, think about if we were going to, uh, to, to in, inside our, our new building here, uh, the, this building, building that's over here, the educational building, as we were uh, preparing that, if we would have come at the very beginning and, and laid out the plans and we've got the architectural drawings and all of that, and let's say that we started coming in and saying, okay, we're going to have golden toilet, toilets and we're going to have uh, uh, countertops of solid gold and we're going to have uh, the cutting boards are going to be solid gold. People would say, man, that's crazy. What are you doing? Why would you need to waste that money? And, and of course, we're not doing that. And so that is not going to be the case in this building. Uh, we're we're going to have tile and we're going to have carpet. Uh, it's not going to be uh, overlaid with gold. Uh, there, but but these, this, this building is, is built for God's glory. And you know, when we look at what was built here, this tabernacle, though it was a temporary building, 
It was still of great value. God in that told them that they were supposed to uh, overlay. The golden candlestick was, was, was made out of one piece of solid gold. They say that it was over six feet tall. And here, can you imagine a golden candlestick uh, that had a, an abra uh, of seven different knobs uh, uh, all coming up and six foot tall, seven foot tall, and it was solid gold. Now just think about that. What's gold an ounce? It's quite a bit. And we say, oh, it was... Gold was cheap then. Gold was still a precious stone, then, or still precious then. And, and what is it? It is, hey, what are we going to give to God? And here God was asking for these specific things, and, and there was a layout uh, of how it was to be built. There was the, the plan was laid out. The program was laid out. Uh, the fundraising was all laid out. And you know, if we follow God's plans, it works. You know, if each of us would be the steward God wants us to be, it'll work. It'll work. We see here the leaders. We see here the laborers. We see here the laymen. Uh, but what was it that ultimately finalized everything? We see it uh, go to Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. Uh, it says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which he spake unto him in Mount Sinai uh, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And you know what we see here? We see this community. It was called a church. You see a team, uh, everybody, the leaders and the laborers and the laymen, everybody was working together to accomplish the plan that God had laid out. It wasn't Moses, and it wasn't Bezalel, and it wasn't Oholiab, and it wasn't the workmen, and it wasn't the craftsmen, it wasn't the laborers, it wasn't just the laymen, it wasn't just the givers. Uh, it was the collective assembly of God's people just following this plan and guess what? The tabernacle was completed. Now here we are this morning and you're in the 9 a.m. service and you look around and you see a whole lot of empty chairs. We're, this is the 9 a.m. service. We have another service at 11 and there are more people uh, that'll be here uh, for the 11 a.m. service. And you know, collectively, we can, we can do it. Collectively, we can do it. But the thing with stewardship, as we go back through the entire month, stewardship is not just about a building. Stewardship is not about just meeting budgets and bills. Stewardship is really about us honoring God. Stewardship is recognizing that everything that I have belongs to Him. And in doing so, as a good steward, you know what we find? That the good steward is the one that got to eat the first fruits. The good steward was the one that got to enjoy the blessings of everything that came in. You know, a good steward finds that there are blessings tied to that stewardship. And as we follow the Lord and we follow his leading and guiding in the area of stewardship, 
we find that it's not just a obligation to give back to God. It's an honor to give back to God. And in doing so, God gives back to us. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. I've told the story again, uh, before about how a little boy and his mama, they went into a, uh, an old-time general store, and uh, they, the uh, store owner, he had a big, big uh, uh, jar of candy up on top of his countertop, and, uh, and the he, little boy was just sitting there eyeing that candy. And pretty soon the store owner said, son, go ahead and reach in there and grab, grab you a handful of candy. The little boy just kept his hands down to his side and kept on looking at that candy longingly. And the mama said, son, go ahead. He said, you could have some. Go ahead and take a handful. And he didn't. just kept his hands down. And the store owner again, go ahead, grab yourself a handful of can candy. And the little boy just kept his hands down. Pretty soon the store owner reached in and he grabbed a handful of candy and put it in that little boy's hands two handfuls now, and he's standing there, and he walks out of that store just smiling as big as could be. And the mama looked at him and said, son, why didn't you reach in and grab a handful of that candy when he was telling you to? Mama, he has bigger hands than I do. You know what? God has bigger hands than what we do. He knows how to take and give back far more than we could ever give him. God is a debtor to no man. He owns the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Our giving to him has nothing to do with a needy God. Has nothing to do with a needy church. Our giving to God has to do with our need to give to him. And in doing so, that act of love and generosity and thankfulness God, in turn, blesses us over and over and over again. You know, when I first started giving and learned about tithes and offerings, you know, it was 10%. And then God met those needs in 12% and 15% and 20% and up and up and up and up and up. And now giving far beyond and what I found is God always provides. He always provides. You look back and you say, how in the world? This, this doesn't pencil out. You look at your giving statement from the previous year, and, and I looked at that, and I looked at our W, or I looked at our W-2s, and it's like, there's no way that this happened. But God is a God that's trustworthy. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, we see that this group of people, they gave, and the result was, they gave too much. They said that they had given, 
And it was, a, it was sufficient. And the last verse there in the text, it said, and too much. And too much. What do we see? We just see the generosity of God's people. And generosity of God's people is always blessed. And you and I have an opportunity. We've just got now. When I get to heaven, I can't give the Lord anything. When I get to the end of my life, I will have nothing, no more opportunities to give. But I do have right now. And I want to make sure that I use those opportunities for him. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Thank you so much for your goodness to us. And, and Lord, just the examples uh, of stewardship here in uh, this church in the wilderness, I pray that you would help us as we, uh, as we look at uh, our stewardship. I pray that you would help us, uh, Lord, to, to just see you. Uh, work in our lives. May we see you prove yourself true. And Lord, may we take those steps of faith and may you be honored uh, by everything done. Thank you for being so good to us. I pray that you'd help us uh, meet the needs of each person here. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here this morning. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Do you know if you died right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they'd go to heaven? The greatest decision that you'll ever make is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you say, Pastor, I've done that. I know the Lord is my personal Savior. I can go back in my mind, a time, a place. I know that I'm saved. You say, Pastor, that's me this morning. Nobody's looking around. Just as a testimony to the Lord, just slip your hand up. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can put them down. You're here this morning. If you don't know, no other decision will make more of a difference than what you do with Jesus. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm concerned about it. I won't come back to you. I won't embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. You say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm not sure. Just slip your hand up. Let me pray for you this morning. All right, how about it, child of God? Are we, are we trusting him in our stewardship? We come to a whole, a, a whole month of stewardship and just dealing with how we give, how we manage what belongs to God. If he put his finger on something in your life, let's do business with him now. The instruments will just continue to play and We'll just give a short time of invitation there for you to allow the Lord to work in your life. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.